Welcome back to Reformed Millennials. The podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back, Cam. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you made it back from Calgary. Yeah, it was a tough, tough slugging. Thought I was going to be first time ever I chose to fly to Calgary for something like obviously without going somewhere else. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to just it was snowing. Obviously, we woke up Monday morning. Crazy weather or winter has hit. Winter has come, as uh, Ned Stark would say. And I was like, I'm so happy I'm flying today. I don't have to deal with the highway. Get there, obviously get delayed three and a half hours. Always. Everyone that did drive from my office beat me there. And then I was the one rushing to get to our evening events. And then, of course, on what day I want to come home, I would love to have driven or had driven at that point because you always want to drive when you're coming home from Calgary. And had to get delayed another hour and a half at the, at the airport, which everyone seemed like happy about, which is like a real indication of the current state of our their household. Well, just know of, of like the <laughs> yeah. It's either that or of the status of our of our airline industry currently. That everyone was like, oh well, it was only an hour and fifteen minutes that we were delayed for an interprovincial flight. <laughs> it's like oh my goodness. So, anyways, it was um yeah. Well, had a good week. I'm I'm. It's Calgary's in worse shape than us. Right now, in terms of their roads and weather, so I mean, you don't yeah. have to get a chance to say that very often. So you know how you made like the the regular talking point of oh the bad weather on Monday. I <laughs> yeah. I made the mistake of doing that at a local tire shop that I go to. Oh goodness! Shout out OK Tire, and uh, <laughs> the first thing Dave says to me when I walk in, he's like, "Joel, this happens every year." And then I just turned around and went back outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if you ask someone like that in the industry, like or someone who's obviously directly affected by yeah. the first day of winter, if he was like to mark on his calendar over the last 40 years when he's working, when this happens, I'm sure it's all within like a week's time oh, frame. Every time. And we're always like, it's early. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. It's super early this time for sure. And Mark said to me, he's like, Joel, I swear to God, if my friends don't start bringing their cars in before. In like September. Yeah. I'm going to send them to another tire shop. When the leaves start falling. Probably. That should be your indication. But that actually was this was earlier this year. So, Cam, kick things off. We're going to skip our sports segment because there's nothing in- interesting to talk about there. Um, Bank of Canada had a an update to their, their policy mm-hmm. yesterday. And in the fashion of there has to be a, an adult in the room, 
and I don't know if that's a fashion, but I, I should, I, we were talking about this prior to recording, but I feel like our uh, Bank of Canada has to be the adult on the political front mm -hmm. because everybody else is either um, throwing insults at one party or the other one's constantly. One, one's faking a uh, um, political promo at using paid actors, apparently, and one's bringing Nazis into our um, into the House and the House of Commons. So it's really tough to get onto the hard-hitting issues when, right, when, you're, <laughs> when you're dealing with a, with a drama house, essentially. Yeah, so our adults tend to be our, our uh, monetary policy setters. So um, yesterday was an important reading for Canadians. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we had recent, just, what, a, what was it, 55 minutes ago, Unusual Wales tweeted that we get, we're getting 40-year mortgages. Yeah, one bank in Canada is offering that, yeah. If one bank does, they all eventually do, it seems. But um, I'm guessing the, the big four aren't going to be just rushing to the door <laughs> to start adding duration to their mortgages. But the I'll just I'll read the, the, the quick bit here. Yesterday, the Bank of Canada decided to maintain its key interest rate at 5% while acknowledging the possibility of future hikes, reflecting the country's flexible inflation targeting policy to ensure economic well-being. In the monetary policy report it also released yes that was also released yesterday the government renewed the inflation target at two percent and highlighted a gradual decline in inflation and slow progress towards price stability however the report also stated there are possibilities for increased inflationary risks economic slowdowns and geopolitical disruptions and this kind of echoes what has been um going on down south mm -hmm. and Everybody from uh, Bob Elliott all the way through to some of the uh, my, my new employers, economists, are now tussling with who's going to break first. Is 2% really what they're going for? They're trying to suss out whether or not this, this um, highlighted inflation or increased inflationary risk is actually a reality or if this is just them trying to talk down the excitement in the economy. Um, you can tell we're getting close, but there's still more work to do. All of that was kind of what was being um, discussed, whether it be on economic Twitter and because of the, of the report. So mm -hmm. what do I think is going to come of this? What, is there anything that's changed on my end? Um, generally speaking, no. In my opinion, I believe that Canada has done a fairly bang up job getting ourselves back to even a reasonable inflation rate when and i've been mentioning this for two two and a half years that monetary policy is relative the cost of capital is relative and in our case we are well ahead of all competing nations we are mm -hmm. the best of the worst <clears throat> and that is a really good spot to be when your only competition is other countries so that gives me it makes me feel okay but when you start to dig a little bit deeper and you look at some of the the prevailing problems you can you can get crabby really quick mm -hmm. and i actually believe that and i had this conversation today via text message with one of my more liberal friends who is much more interested in politics than i am but also tends to highlight the right and then send it to me because he, for whatever reason, thinks I'm crazy <laughs> because I'm not quite as far left as him. And 
Um, I think that our conversations are changing a little bit mm. and that's interesting to me. That's something that I'm noticing and I'm wondering why. And I think it has a little bit to do with the, the change in Canada's renewed um, ability, the provin provincial renewed ability to, to start pro projects that might be on its face more carbon intensive, mm -hmm. but because we've now had a um, an unconstitutional ruling, you can see that the provinces are reengaged, that they're they're fighting back, and the the goal of all of that is actually to to get more projects built, to to get more housing built, to get more infrastructure built, to to just do more. Yep. And it's just a big piece of red tape lifted, and that makes me optimistic. Um, and the third piece that I found interesting uh, was the the budget balancing. So mm. federal finance minister Christia Freeland stated that the fall of ec the fall economic statement expected to be released in the coming months in November would address housing and affordability with a fiscal fiscally responsible framework. Mm. Very important, mm -hmm. emphasizing the challenging balance the government aims to achieve. So earlier we were just talking about how there's the adults in the room tend to be the people setting monetary policy. Um, it's clear that the message from voters is that the liberals need to rein in spending. They need mm -hmm. to bring back, I mean, we have an election coming up in a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that they're recognizing that they need to start, oh, no, 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 we, we're fiscally responsible. So the, the deficit was stated to be about um, $43 billion for 2023, and it's looking like it's going to come in around 35.3, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the government has been under pressure to manage its spending, so addressing this housing crisis is hard when you have to battle inflation, which is generally, or it has, in my opinion, been caused a lot by the free money or the low cost of capital set by our monetary policy, like our Bank of Canada, and then also the free money given out by mm -hmm. our federal government. So, in Which a roundabout now, way. <clears throat> there's now rumblings about, you know, more of that free money. Yeah, the UBI that's going to yeah. be rolled out. Which, I mean, it, let's be frank and say that's obviously clickbait in terms of all the information that's coming out right now. It's not like nothing's concrete. There's nothing released, obviously. It's just essentially leaks coming out saying that they're... Um, essentially looking at the possibility or what that framework would look like for essentially everyone over the age of call it 17 in Canada receiving a, a UBI of some sort. And we, any, any opinion on that right now would just be in terms of the actual framework of that would just be conjecture. But obviously people have an opinion on UBI in general, and that wouldn't exactly be a, decrease in spending but obviously if if they're going to take the, the take the the stance that they are stopping spending them I'm, I'm wondering where the money's coming from to balance that side of the outflow i'll give you maybe two guesses either me or me and you yes <laughs> or yesterday and small businesses in canada because why not yeah because so. that's where it always comes from it yes. never comes from the people that have it it's always <laughs> the people that are the employers and or um, are employed, but yep. can't leave. If you have no financial mobility, so effectively everyone who makes as much as a doctor or less, you're paying all of the bills. You're paying all the bills. All the people that are super rich and have houses in Palm Springs, they're not. <laughs> it is going to be interesting. I, I, I think I, I was telling you that when I was reading your notes on on this in terms of the Becca Canada 
I guess, narrative and the the message that went along with the, the hold at 5%. And I think you're right. At the end of the day, they are going to be, and we, this would have been the same way we talked about this 18 months ago, real, realistically, which is that they have to take a very uh, guided approach and conservative approach to the messaging. And even if, like you said, like the economists in the background trying to decide, okay, well, they're saying this, but what are they really getting after? What are they going to say in three months from now or six months from now? And what are they really aiming for? Because sitting in the airport yesterday, reading the closed captions on that, I'm like, well, that's not exactly... That's not good. Just spurring optimism. But at the same time, like, I mean, it's, you. I think they can... They Even if they felt like they could be more optimistic, it's really easy with the current news cycle narrative to just stay... You know, there's so much volatility and there's is way too many unknowns, especially on the, you kind of mentioned three things there. And I think on the geopolitical front, that's the automatic one to go to from a disruption standpoint to say like there's so many fires that are currently starting or, or burning heavily right now from that standpoint. And it's really, even if you did feel from a monetary policy in North America or in Canada and what we can set going forward, you can easily... Um, Kind of, I'm obviously not. I'm not saying from a rely on that or anything like that, or or use that as a as a crutch because I I don't think that's the kind of thing you'd want to do. But it it is easy to to see why that narrative would be spun that way. No, completely. So outside of the Canadian BS, we've also been in the heart of earnings season. So for me, it's been very busy. Been listening to a lot of calls. Um, it's really sad because I just basically listened to big tech. And then all the oil and gas companies and banks. And um, I consider myself to be very obsessed with consumer discretionary and mm. it being something that I believe I have an edge in. And um, I just go back to the companies that demand all the intention. And even if you are trying to build a brand um, or an audience or a new business nowadays, it's all run on these like seven businesses. Mm -hmm. So, Early this week, we had Google, Microsoft, and Meta, or Facebook, and the prevailing um, price action after earnings has been down. Every one of them has tra traded down afterwards, even after showing improved profitability. Google was unfortunately hurt by the fact that their their cloud business is not continuing to grow relatively as fast as Azure or Microsoft's. Mm -hmm. That caused it to sell off, even though the profitability in ads and YouTube and YouTube's engagement is just on absolute fire. Mm -hmm. um, Microsoft, on the other end of things, has seen a slowdown on their main stay business of 365 while Azure continues to show an, an incredible amount of profitability and growth. And then Meta absolutely blew the damn doors off. They had renewed um, growth and continued engagement from their family of apps. So it, people are not stopping using it. If anything, it's improving or increasing. Um, their the WhatsApp business in, in the rest of the world, so that being outside yeah. of North America and Europe, is kicking absolute butt. It's crazy to see what um, the engagement that WhatsApp has with consumers in India and in mm -hmm. Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. It's where everybody spends their time. You know, it's funny just as a quick anecdotal thing. I was at this, my AGM, the last three days. And so there was 
three folks who I went for, it was everyone from across the country. So I was sitting for dinner with three folks and said, Hey, like, you know, I think we're going out for drinks after this. Here's my number. Text me later. And so people, two of them for Vancouver, one from out East. And so get, it was very nice of them. They actually did text me after all three of them text me via WhatsApp. And it was very like, I guess anecdotal again, but like we've chatted about this before in terms of like, I think North America, maybe specifically, but even just, I feel like a lot of people just default to it's like, well, I'm just using text message through Apple or whatever. Yeah, you have be. a nice not job. Be, you have an app. You have an iMessage. I'm not using, well, and I'm not using an app to message you. Right. Right. And it's, so I just found that I was like, I actually just thought of this podcast and thought of our discussions. I was yeah. like, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. So, messages is an app, but like we don't view it that way. No, exactly. Right? That's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, I view WhatsApp as something I have to go into, whereas yeah. messages, I'm like, oh, this just Exists. pops up like this. Yeah. 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 No, this is, it's, it's like the phone call um, function, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's an app, but just a reacceleration of ad revenue. Um, it had a pretty easy quarter to lap. So this was the bottom of Meta last year, 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. It was trading at 1.8 or 2 times EBIT at this point last year. $200 billion market cap. It's going to do $150 billion in revenue or $160 billion in revenue next year. It was so cheap last year, it's kind of hard to believe. Now it's trading closer to its long run multiple. And it uh, doesn't seem like people are stopping using it. Now... With all that said, they also had future guidance that was iffy. Um, and they spoke to, while they've been able to renew profit or expanding margins from a profitability perspective, they believe that it's going to be challenging to forecast continued growth in their gaming advertising sector. You saw a renewed amount of, of engagement and spend from Asia, more specifically China, which tells me that China's starting to get going again now that they've, I don't know, started to stimulate. But as we all know, it's very tough to know if that's forecastable. And he made that quite clear on his on his mm -hmm. call. Um, so to kind of wrap it all up, Reels is on absolute fire. Um, but that also coincides with, with um, YouTube Shorts also be doing quite well. Mm -hmm. So this social media business itself I think has re-engaged and then become even more important than it was prior to 2019. So for the last three years, we've gone from new nor we've gone from 2019, everything's normal, 2% inflation, 1.5% inflation, low rates. Then we had a pandemic. During that pandemic, we went from we're always gonna go to the office five days a week. Two, we're never going back to the office. We're always ordering our groceries online. Uber will take over all cars. We are never going to go and see our friends ever again. And then we reverse that back to maybe it's somewhere in the middle. And social media is dead. We're mm -hmm. all going back to the theaters. Game stops the greatest. And then we <laughs> fall off a cliff. And we've now returned back to what I deem to be a new mean, which yeah. is these big seven but more specifically Google and Facebook with regards to platforms that we live on and use every day are becoming the arbiters of success for businesses. So all of those VC companies that had unlimited capital through 2020 to 2022, and then the cost of capital went through the roof. 
the companies that VCs just pumped money into because we were going to ride scooters to work. Um, <laughs> all of those businesses are dead or dying. And what's re-engaging is this more, um, I'd almost say guerrilla warfare for attention hmm. and individuals building large audiences on these social platforms, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook and, um, and YouTube, YouTube yeah. and they're able to now sell products, high margin products direct to the, the consumer, avoid these large conglomerates, these large tech companies that thought that they were going to take over with their free money. And it's changed our dynamic. We no longer are seeing unlimited, incredible run, an unlimited runway for software businesses. And it's reverting back to, to what it was in 2019 with a small change. And um, I'm not sure if we predicted that or what we did necessarily, but it's noticeable. And I was listening to a podcast and I've now, I'm now on my second go of it because it's just, it's just worth it to make sure that I caught all of his little nuggets. But the Invest Like the Best podcast with Aswell Damodoran, who is the New York Stern School of Business professor who wins the, uh, well, he's won the best business professor in the United States multiple years mm -hmm. in running. He's pretty famous on Twitter, but he was on the podcast for the second time. And the number one thing that I took from that podcast was actually that the long run cost of capital or whatever, the, the, the lending rate from the Bank of Canada or the Bank of the United States Federal Reserve has, has been um, inflation plus one to one and a half percent. So if you're thinking, where are rates going? Mm -hmm. Tell me where inflation's going and I'll tell you where rates are going. We're going back to that inflation plus one or inflation plus 1.5. It'll be 1.5 so long as they're trying to bring inflation down and it'll go to one or less so long as they're trying to re-engage and get people spending more. Yeah. And what does that mean to me? So in 2025, a large amount of um, the Canadian economic predictors, or we'll call our economists, who are almost always wrong, have now started to revert back from being, no, higher for longer. We're going to see five or five and a half or six. But no, inflation's 3.5. So what's inflation plus 3.5 or 1.5? Well, it's five. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at. If inflation goes to three, in my opinion, if housing starts to crack, we're going to go to inflation plus one. And then if we get down to two and a half, which is even closer to their 2% target, mm -hmm. it's going to be inflation plus one. So we're going to be at three and a half. So how many rate cuts do we need before then? We need eight 25 basis cuts, basis point cuts to get to where we were in 2018, 2019. Mm -hmm. So that's my market update slash where I'm, what I'm thinking about right now. Slash quick math. Yeah. Little problem. Inflation plus one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's. Boiling he, it down to something simple like that is really. Yeah, everyone can take take that with them and walk with it and, and put it in their back pocket and bring and it out. go to the bank and be like, have you heard this? Because. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it on a podcast that heard it on a podcast that it has to be true. So um, we still got Big Apple to. To be released. To still. be released still. Well, we're halfway through the important names. And. Uh, it's unfortunate, but so goes the market as these big tech companies go. They are mm -hmm. more than half the market cap value of the S&P 500. And in Canada, we're going we're, we're gonna to fail to get off the mat if we don't see an, a reinversion of the yield curve because banks are 30 plus percent of our, 
our economy. And um, the other 30 is housing. And then energy is effectively keeping us afloat mm -hmm. at this point. Um, so, yeah, I want to kind of move on. I want to talk about smaller, Yeah, a smaller tech company and some of the yeah. issues that they're currently having. So you still using Airbnb? I mean, I haven't gone anywhere to use it in a, in a long time. I mean, you're just in Europe. Why didn't you use it? Because I guess, yeah, I did. I'll tell you what. We ended up using the hotel that was suggested because I went for a wedding. So there was obviously like a block discount with it. So went to the and the rest of the family was there. I was only there for two days as well. So again, anecdotally, when I think of Airbnb, I'm usually thinking longer term stay for me on vacation. So I'm like, I want, I'm going to be in a place for five or six days. And that's what's going to make me want to have the amenities of a, an apartment or a home or whatever it might be versus, you know, one to two days staying in a, a hotel. But it's definitely still an app that I have on my phone. And if I'm ever thinking about going anywhere, obviously, I typically still go to that first. Again, anecdotally. But so Airbnb bust. Airbnb bust. Airbnb bust, yeah. was going, I don't know, sort of viral on Twitter back in the middle of summer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Airbnb or Brian Chesky, who is Airbnb's founder and CEO, mm -hmm. Was on. I don't remember what show it was. It was probably Squawk Box or something like that. And he has said that Airbnb is busted, but he plans to fix it. So this is a quote from one of the articles that I posted in our notes. Airbnb Inc. CEO Brian Chesky hasn't had an easy 2023. First, there was the Airbnb bust frenzy in March, in which hosts took up arms on Twitter about shrinking profit margins and a potential short-term rental bubble. Mm -hmm. Then competitor VRBO beat Airbnb to a feature that customers have long been requested with a loyalty program. And in September, New York City vastly tightened its rules on short-term rentals, nearly squeezing Airbnb out of the market that in early days respond, represented roughly 80% of its business. Never mind the, the increasing strictness of return-to-office policies, which has hampered the flexibility that spurred Airbnb's business in the pandemic mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So back to businesses in which you thought would grow forever because we have fundamentally changed as people. Yeah, And then you combine that with probably what's less important to Airbnb, but important to us given that we're in Western Canada, mm -hmm. BC Short-Term Rental Accommodations Act has really... I think set the stage for what is going to ripple all the way across our country, yep. but probably all the way through Europe as well. And yeah, for sure. BC is facing a housing crisis. Ontario's facing a housing crisis. I think Calgary's fa facing a increased pressure on where housing um, affordability is going up or down. Sorry. Yeah. And the prices yeah. are going. Through well, the and it's a direct result of is the domino effect of the exodus from those two other centers. Exactly. But you, have, you have all these people moving, right? Yeah. Um, so these new rules in BC effectively are going to, at least out the gate, um, revert what has been a, a huge boon for small businesses where they, they gobble up on short, well, low interest rates, a bunch mm -hmm. of rental properties and desirable areas. Mm -hmm. And instead of having... A renter who pays you $2,500 to $4,500 a month to use the property as a place to live, you have short-term rentals where you can charge two or three or $400 a night, mm -hmm. 20 nights a month, and Ipso facto. you're doubling or tripling your revenue. Yep. 
And that profitability metric or that business model worked like wonders, right? It, it drove up the prices because the economics of those buildings or per square foot mm-hmm. was significantly better yeah. than in the past. And then also driving up frustration from the fact that there would be times of the year where apartment buildings, let's just say that are made up of a bunch of short-term rentals are effectively empty. Yeah. But it still makes business sense to have it that way, as you said, with the kind of dynamic pricing that you can do with the short-term rental and say like based off demand, I can charge my, I can have my Uber surge priced Airbnb for this time because of it. And it makes up for anything where I'm not, you know, fully rented out during the year. Yeah. And And so this just speaks to government having to come in, create wide sweeping regulations, mm-hmm. which punishes one end of the market that maybe weren't bad actors to mm-hmm. suss out the bad actors causing a major problem. And this happens everywhere, whether it be bad actors with asbestos remediation, which I'm going through, where you would assume you'd be able to do it yourself, but you can't, Even no matter how careful you are, you're not allowed because regulation had to come in to save people from themselves, which makes sense sense on a large group scale mm-hmm. but it sucks on an individual basis mm-hmm. to oil and gas um and cleaning up orphan wells all of this stuff government regulation has to come in when businesses break old systems yeah so i think in, in bc specifically uh if you're not in one of the i don't know i think there's 14 cities or towns that they are exempting for now mm-hmm. i think this is probably only for the first two years um you're gonna have to be renting these out for greater than 90 days and they're going to remove the ability to rent these properties on vrbo or airbnb and this is going to continue to happen i think and it's not for the reason that i thought it was going to be which was that it in in desirable locations that people like to travel to it was going to push out the people living there mm-hmm. It's actually and cause it to be fundamentally different and not have businesses that should be there servicing the people that live there. I thought that would be the issue. Like you go to Amsterdam and you want to go to one of their be- most beautiful streets, and then all the the they've effectively Airbnb has washed out all the humans that are there, and now it's just managers of Airbnbs. I thought that was going to be what did it. Yeah. It's not. It's the fact that housing prices have gone absolutely to the moon, and it's required our government to step in and act. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if I have any reason to push back against it. Um, as a person that uses Airbnb a lot, I probably over the last year and a half have gone back to hotels and we don't use Airbnb anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's because of my, for any other reason than the, the, the experience isn't as good. Mm-hmm. I think that all of the managers or the people that were operating those properties were squeezing the margins so tight to make so much money that it made it not fun for me to use them anymore. I didn't like having to do all of the chores around the house while I rented it. So that anecdotally was the reason why I didn't enjoy using it so much anymore. Mm. Um, I prefer the the hotel experience, but at the same time, I I see where they're coming from. I don't know if you have any pushback. But. I don't necessarily think pushback. I think some of the, I think these rules are going to be ever changing. I think this is the first rollout of it. I think it's going to be, they're going to wait and see how this kind of affects things. Uh, obviously this, this role too is not, to my understanding, not affecting every single piece of, of BC at this point either. Um, but at the end of the day, 
I think it's going to be um, an evolving thing that, you know, BC's kind of been a first mover on a lot of this stuff. They also, I had spoken about the underused housing tax um, kind of methodology that was rolled out on the federal basis earlier this year. That was something that BC had done the year prior in relation to essentially information reporting for a large majority of of property owners or residential property owners and a small percentage of those would be taxed based off of their essentially their assessment value and that was largely directed towards the or it was marketed sorry as being towards the kind of the foreign ownership side of things and so the but the i guess the the consequence of that which intended or unintended i guess we'll 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 have to see in a couple years once they actually get through all the paper that needs to be filed but essentially people having this compliance requirement now to say well i have a i meet the requirement from a reporting standpoint i don't have to pay any tax which you know for some of the people potentially that are affected by this this new bc role and then maybe eventually something federally that that kind of mimics it it might again be something that doesn't actually affect you as a residential homeowner but it just adds another layer of we talk about red tape a lot another red tape thing to being a like having it as a either as a incidental type thing from like it's my property i just have it for six months of the year i'm there six months of the year i rent it out so maybe maybe it won't affect as many people as we think but the the added compliance cost or the added frustration to say like well i have to consider this UHT thing, I have to consider this this BC Short Term Rental Accommodations Act. I have to think about this. I have to think about this. Whenever you start, so if you come to your accountant or you come to your advisor or whatever it might be, and you say, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this," and they're like, "Yeah, that's you know, I'm glad that you're looking into that." But here are the here's the laundry list of 15 things that you have to consider, and the potential compliance that goes with it and the cost that comes with that annually for for filing requirement it's going to make people be like i'm just sick of this stuff i cannot even imagine having to do one more thing and it's going to shy people away there's another thing that i haven't talked about in the podcast yet um you should be talking to your accountant about this if you do own a any kind of property um under like a bear trust agreement there's also some new trust reporting requirements essentially so when you think about trust there's you deal with those with that kind of planning on a, on a day-to-day, I'm sure with some of your clients, but um, a lot of corporate structures would include a trust. Uh, trusts might hold, or you might go into an agreement or buying a property with somebody and with two companies and neither of the, of the companies is going to hold that, that property in its own name. It's going to be held under a bare trust agreement. There is a boatload of new requirements for what constitutes a trust and what constitutes information reporting on a trust now. And a lot of it is, is based off of property and how that is held. And so that's kind of another tack on to some of this stuff too, where that's not necessarily changing just because of it's a, if, if it's a rental or if it's just something that you, that you own as a, something that's maybe a, an appreciation type thing and you want to sell it down the road. It's just another compliance thing, another piece of information that I think the, the negative connotation around it is that why do they need to know this coming from the either the property owner or the business owner or whoever it might be it just feels like another thing that they're going to have to consider and do and be on top of and make sure that they're they're filing on time and it's going to result in no actual tax being levied in a lot of cases it's just 
we need to provide this information to the government because they're requesting it. And if we don't, there's a massive penalty attached to it. So again, zero tax obligation, $10,000 penalty, $25,000 penalty for non, non-compliance. Where do they put this information? If you were to guess. It's like Christia Freeland's CRA website. Office. Just go on. Yeah, it's posted. At, doesn't everybody just follow the updates from the Canada Revenue Agency? Yeah, it's actually my <laughs> it's number one news screen when I yeah. open it up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, it is stuff like I mean, it's it's incumbent on 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 advisors to who do get this information first to then then put it out. So I mean, like me as an accountant, like we get we get news flashes of this information, and then we have to essentially, you know, I'm really lucky because we have a resource the resources in within our firm essentially like here's what we need to know, and here's the information we need to get from clients, and let's make sure this message is getting out the best way possible to them. So that's, you know, emailing and calling and working through things. And unfortunately, the other thing that's really, you know, hurts my heart a little bit in terms of like what I strive to do is like, I want to provide value to people with the services. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there is value in saying like, hey, I'm telling you about this so then this doesn't happen. But it's not like this is improving the way that they do business or live their lives in terms of this reporting. That's required. So it's a tough one, um, but it is something else. So again, if if you hold a um, as, a, as a quick piece of information, if you if you hold a, a property um, either within a trust that's already established within your corporate organization, or if you hold something under a, a, a bare trust agreement, which could be individuals or corporations, whatever it might be, there's a lot of them out there that you don't even realize and there's new reporting required. So again, December 31st, the reporting will be due kind of this upcoming reporting period um, subsequent to, to the calendar year end. So you're going to want to, if you haven't already heard from your accountant on that, you know that you maybe have a bear trust agreement as, as part of your life, then that's something you're going to want to touch base on because there is again, no different than the underused housing tax regime that I talked about a bunch of months ago. This is also, again, an information return that needs to be filed if it's not. When, by this upcoming reporting season? Yeah, so like December 31st cutoff. And so um, we're probably going to plan a lot of this work to be done in January. Are you guys going to fire me a bunch of emails about how? I just need more M&P emails. It It is, yeah. That's the other thing, too, is like I I think it's really easy because, I I mean, the, the easiest way to communicate a lot of the stuff is blasting right mm-hmm. email blast email blast email blast capital letters too. capital letters too yeah for sure but at the Pictures. end of the day it's like it's it's it ends up being a big undertaking for uh from the communication side of things because getting the message out and what it means and who it applies to is so important so i mean yeah for sure emails is a great way of saying like having the alert emoji on your email and maybe that makes people click on it a little bit more very important but to add like you said in, in like or what we've said a million times in this information age where we our attention is so fractured between things some of these most important things that you might feel like you're communicating properly even like with this you know short-term rental accommodations act it's like okay it gets like news buzz for a day or two and then it falls off right so if you miss something like that it can be very very important um and you might never hear about it again just because of the way our news cycle works right so it's it's incumbent on advisors and it's incumbent on business owners as well just to try and you know stay aware of these things and and, and continue the conversation because that's it's really it really is tough and it, a lot of these things are a lot more complex than obviously than the, the government uh likes to communicate in their news releases or in their press conferences 
I mean, a lot of the time, I think they don't even know what they're causing in some cases. Oh, it's a hundred percent. Some, like you said before, it's almost like, um, uh, you know, who it might be affecting or it's kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And then again, that's why I kind of mentioned it's going to be like an ever evolving thing. Like a lot of things in our, our, our tax regime across this country, there's, there's been iterations of things over the years and how things have changed. And Sometimes, like, I'll give the government credit. There's some times where they're like, okay, well, that was kind of silly that we required that. And it's it's a huge, like, they take the feedback, essentially, from people across the country and say, okay, yeah, you're right. We don't necessarily need to frame it that way or require this information since we're already asking for it here or whatever it might be. But in a lot of cases, it's, you know what, instead of making this very clear-cut or maybe more focused in terms of, you know, who's who applies to this or who who this affects it's more of a widespread thing to see what they get and then they can sift through that information and then make changes as they see fit after the fact well god that was uh you know it's really sad because i i see with my clients in their 30s and 40s that are starting to come into jobs in which they're paying them more mm -hmm. then they have professional corps or corporations and holding companies and the first thing they want to do is buy, or they tell me, Joel, why didn't you tell me I could buy a rental property in my corp with pre-tax money and then use it? Which is what everybody wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I think part of this has a little bit to do with wanting to keep that from happening more often. And it's just another mm -hmm. tool to push back on the consumer buying or the, the top end of our income brackets yep. from buying more houses, driving up the price for things that... And well, we talked, what was it, three weeks ago when we said, you know, CMHC talks about this is how many homes we need by 2030 or 2040 or whatever yeah. it is, and we would need to increase, like, double the new housing starts. And it's like, well, if we can't get the new housing starts, how else are we going to get homes back on the market or places to live back on the market from a rental perspective or a buying perspective? Yeah, maybe these business owners don't need five houses, and we're going to take them from them. I don't know if that's really what it is. I'm not, I don't pretend to know. It just yeah, I'm not going to go into like a conspiracy theorist yeah. thought process here or whatever it might be, but. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you're right. There is a lot of a lot of the most recent regulation is about taking things away from businesses, redistributing, and redistributing. That's what yeah. the government likes to do. That's what they're best at is redistributing. <laughs> so, Cam, I'm either going to talk about Martin Scorsese's visual literacy video that I thought was really good. I think what I might do is just throw that in the newsletter. Okay, well, I, I was going to say, wasn't I, I just remember reading about how uh, the Swifties came out in full force again and um, her movie release outscored his, what is it, the one with Leo DiCaprio? I don't even know what the name of it is because it was all about Taylor Swift. I kept reading about Taylor Swift and forgot the name of the movie that Martin Scorsese put out. I should know that. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't remember it either. But I actually kind of forgot about the car loan and car dealership guy had a tweet recently where he's mm. like now concerned about the car industry. I'm just like... <laughs> smack my head against the table because I'm just so I view the car dealership industry as being so extractionary in the same way that real estate often is where they are um, taking advantage of people sometimes and I finally am seeing a a return to the power of the the consumer where you could walk into a dealership and you can actually try to negotiate but also from the other end, when you look at Ford and then you look at, at Tesla 
in terms of why has one stock going through the absolute moon and why has the other not? And there's a lot of intangibles there as to why that happened. It has, one's a tech company, one isn't. There's a business that um, was able to sustain continued investment and growth where the other one has effectively not grown for a long period of time, has stagnant margins, and their business model is no different. Um, car dealership guys effect has come out and said subprime auto borrowers are, and delinquencies are going through the roof. But what I believe is probably on the horizon here, and this is going to take a decade to play out in my opinion, but we are now going to see a downward trend especially if this is a higher for longer world mm -hmm. and the cost of inputs into these businesses are still high. So semiconductors, the, the cost of building them is high. There's going to be a squeeze somewhere in this business. In my business, it was the fee, the fees charged back in the day, advisors were charging one and a half on the ultra wealthy side to three and a half. And it got crushed. Now, in my opinion, it's going to happen to the car dealership business where there's families that have 30 of these things and they have seven in one city. You, in my opinion, Ford doesn't need to have eight dealerships in Edmonton, especially when you look at Tesla where they own their own distribution. Mm -hmm. They don't have families that run them in town. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that families won't own dealerships. That's not what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to suggest is, is that they might not have eight and there might only be one. And why? Well, you have a Ford dealership that is four to 7% margins, gross margins mm -hmm. or profit margins. And then you have a Tesla that's in the 20s. Why? Who do you think extracts that difference in, in, in margin? The dealership. I've never met a person who owns a dealership that isn't outrageously rich. Like outrageously rich. You think doctors are rich? That's nothing compared to dealership owners. They're filthy rich. Go into like the, the club seats and at, and at the Oiler games and then look up because people that have the boxes are dealership owners. It's insane. I believe that we've seen the peak of, of car dealership ownership in our life. And it's... A whole bunch of factors as to why I believe that to be the case, but I think it's important to have people that explain to you the financing costs. I think it's important to have someone who shows you around the car and delivers you the car and services the car. I think all of that will be is a requirement. I think what they do is a, a legitimate service. I just don't think that they also have to have private jets. So where do, where do we land here? Probably somewhere in the middle between Tesla and where we are today, but. Car prices have to come down from where they are. If the cost of money is in the fives and sevens, there's no way people are going to have an average payment of go from what was, I think, 1100 to now mm -hmm. 1500 1600 What part of the wallet share do you think you're going to extract that from? It's not happening at all. So either we get some sort of crazy technological development and they maintain their dealerships and they continue to, to pull all this money out of people and families only need one car or, or it goes the other way. And I think a reversion to the mean is much more likely. And I think the new mean is the business model that Tesla built. And what I see Mercedes starting to do, what I'm seeing flashes from in, in with Toyota and with Ford mm -hmm. 
And I don't know if some of the domestics are, are going to die. I have no idea. I'm not trying to predict any of that. I just believe that over the next 10 to 20 years, I think my son won't be buying a car directly from a dealership. I think it'll likely be direct to consumer. And I'm of the opinion that service centers will become much more pre prevalent and you'll have one outlet to buy the, the car from. Mm -hmm. No need to have five. Uh, Mercedes, I think, is the is the model that for people to look at. Tesla is probably a little bit further one direction than I sure, think yeah. Mercedes is likely the one. So I hope those that run dealerships or listen that listen to this think I'm not attacking them here. I, that's not my 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 uh, my hope. I believe that we need to see affordability return to cars because it's. I think the one thing outside of well, you still got to make money, right? So if everyone stops buying vehicles because they can't afford it, yeah, the prices are going to come down. Your, like yeah. you're already <laughs> seeing competitive pricing, and I mean you have zero percent interest rates with when interest rates are, should be seven or eight. It's returning. The financing departments; these people aren't making absurd amounts of money. Your dealership general manager doesn't get to treat you like crap anymore. Like when you walked in before, they didn't care because there's another 15 people behind you willing to overpay for the car. Like I, I, I've heard, I remember stories from uh, the dealership in my, in our town that was selling trucks. And my, my father-in-law went and put a, a down payment, a $15,000 down payment on one of the vehicles. It got delivered to the dealership. They called him and said, sorry, it's not yours. Um, you can't have it. So here's your deposit back because someone else is willing to pay more for it. Mm -hmm. It was such a terrible experience to buy cars for two and a half years. I think we're going to go and see another extreme in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, the consumer is a little bit harmed by it and feels disgruntled. Yeah. Not only yeah. that, I think there's going to be a lot of people having to take their cars back because they can't afford them. And um, it's going to cause some problems. Yeah. This fracturing in the u.s car market is going to be seen in the housing market and if we ever get an employment kerfuffle moving forward this is only going to get way 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 worse yeah. what's the first thing you cut when you uh when you lose your job it's not your food and it's not your house it's most certainly your eighty thousand dollar pickup truck mm -hmm. right that yeah, thing is blown out the door immediately yeah. there's a that's definitely going to be the first thing that most people look at 100%. And I think the, to your point about what it's been like the last two and a half years, I think you're correct. Like from the consumer experience standpoint, obviously hasn't been a good one. And I'll attest to that too. Like it basically, it, it drove me from being thinking about getting a new vehicle to just not even considering it and going and finding like scouring for a used vehicle. That was difficult as well. Cause obviously Lots of people had the same thought process, mm -hmm. but scouring for a used vehicle and, and going that route. And there could be like shifts that come from that as well as, as part of all of this. But I also don't necessarily, like, I don't blame, like, it's just, that's the way the business was. No, there's no reason to blame them. Right. And like, yeah, that's I know capitalism. That They're doing the right thing. thing. Exactly. But like, you're right. Like the shift, well, you always talk about reversion to the mean. Doesn't matter if it's just a podcast or a group chat or whatever it might be. <laughs> But the concept of it, and I think you're right. Like we're at this like kind of inflection point based off of the what we're seeing from how dealerships are are marketing themselves. Um, I think obviously seeing how it's worked for Tesla in terms of getting their vehicles on the road, 
kind of all around the world yeah and saying well why can't we do like again going back to the factory standpoint it's like why can't we do that and why can't we change the model that we're currently that we've had for you know tens of years decades yeah and saying like why don't we flip this on its head a little bit and maybe like you're right it goes somewhere in the middle we're not just going to say well the eight and edmonton are gone but maybe it's some kind of consolidation and what those the eight turn into four service centers only and you know, whatever it might be, and it and it turns or looks like this a lot. What we saw differently, in, and it probably helps a lot with your inventory management. Yes, how much you're spitting out at times. Scale or die. Yeah, basically, it happened in in um, agriculture and with farming. You can just look at all the small towns that are slowly dissipating in Alberta and Saskatchewan. They're all everyone's coming closer to home, and then you have large conglomerates buying up all this land mm-hmm. and because you need the scale to produce proper margins, to reinvest, to invent, to innovate, or I should say, and continue <laughs> and to buy the equipment that you need to do it. Because the equipment is so absurd. And I think that that's also going to be the case for, for the car dealerships and markets. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure there's families that have four or five in town. Well, they're only going to own an individual one and it's going to be way bigger. Yep. And maybe they make just as much money, mm-hmm. but there's just not going to be a Hyundai, a Honda, a GM, two GMs, two Fords, to a Jaguar all insured park. Yep. For 130,000, 140, or 150,000 person population. Yep. It could make sense for all of those to be insured park, but then all the other ones don't exist. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, these car companies are coming to a point in which they have to reinvest in their business model because it's changing. Yep. And it's the cost to build out these new drivetrains to drive down the price of these new drivetrains and get them into the houses to reinvest in infrastructure. So if PetroCanada and Shell aren't producing charging stations, they're going to have to do it. This is something that Tesla has been 10 years ahead of. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see these car companies have to find the capital to do it. Yeah, And it sure as hell isn't going to come from the consumer because they're just going to switch to the businesses way ahead of them. Yep. So where does it come from? Probably their distribution. Yep. In the fund providing business in finance, we don't even have fund salesmen anymore. I mean, we do, but there's only one for Western Canada. There used to be one per city. Mm. Everything gets drilled down this way. Mm-hmm. I think the car industry has largely moved slowly because they can. And the people, it's a large purchase for people. And making large purchases infrequently dies slower yeah that's fair you have any recommendations on the way out uh no just one you said you kind of know sports things on off the top there and just one thing i thought thought was interesting i don't think we talked about it last week the and the angel didn't do a great job of marketing at go figure uh until kind of like right before but they've kind of reintroduced this like i think they're calling it something frenzy anyways yesterday or day before sorry yesterday they had every team in the league playing and they started each game 50 in 15 minute increments throughout the so the second first game was at four o'clock kind of thing mountain time and then all the way through to nine o'clock starts uh mountain time and so i think it was espn that had it out of um or like the big broadcast but essentially it was kind of like nfl red zone and so like they had 
like jumping game to game kind of thing and checking in and analysis in between mm. and all that kind of stuff. And so obviously red zone was, has been a massive success for the NFL. And so kind of seeing obviously with, I think with ESPN being a part of the family now with NHL again, it's kind of like, it's such a, we've, we've talked about maybe some of the things, how they're, you know, not doing great in, or at least the future doesn't look amazing or they yep. need to change in the future, but like they know what they're doing when it comes to entertaining people and, I think the, obviously we've always talked about the NFL being the model, but I don't, obviously we'll see, I haven't seen that much in terms of like how successful was this, how many eyeballs did it get, what did it look like on different platforms, but just my general anecdotal take on it was like, this is such a great idea. And if they do this more again, like on like hockey heavy days kind of thing and have this thing you can check into, especially and get a bunch of updates all at once, or again, just introducing people to the game and having this as available to you know, the kind of quote unquote average fan in, in the States. What a great way of showcasing your sport, because again, it's just, you're, you're showcasing the best of the best in a, in a, in a long format rather than having to tune into an entire game or whatever it might be. And, and seeing this again, the flashes of the sport to get really interested in it. So I thought it was interesting that they did it and it sounds like they pulled it off. Obviously there was kind of like, I think two or three folks running for, you know, however many, seven hours on, or eight hours on, on TV and just with commercial breaks and, and hammering back and forth on highlights and analysis and whatever else. So I think it was a good idea. Hopefully see more of that kind of roll out, especially in the States and like in the, in the market they want to grow in the most. And I think it's, um, you know, something that has worked in the past in other sports. So it's not like you're jumping off on a model that isn't proven. It's something that has worked. You just haven't really tried it in your sport especially in this new age of media. I think maybe they did it back in the day when we were just like traditional cable and, and nothing else. But again, if you can integrate this with your other platforms and, and, and how to present it to people, I think it's a really... When am idea. I going to watch that, Cam? How does anyone have a life outside of their nine to five? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I forgot that we, the 40 hours that I work yeah. a week. Or... Yeah, for millennials listening to this, I recommend all of the Gen Z videos on TikTok and Instagram of them complaining about how hard getting a job in life is in the nine to five Monday to Friday world. That is fun. <laughs> and it makes me feel old. The one that blew up about the, my 80, my $80,000 degree was my experience or whatever. And that's how I should be getting a job that requires right. experience. It's just like, Ooh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like we can, we can argue about the fact of whether or not it should cost $80,000. I think that's a separate yeah. conversation. Well, it doesn't in Canada. No, hundred so. percent. Yeah. But like, that's a separate conversation. No matter what the cost yeah. is of your tuition is, is something separate that we, an issue that you can talk about separately. But, um, the fact that you think that, um, going to school for, um, high school and maybe four to six more years and thinking that that's your experience and you had to do nothing else other than just get that piece of paper is concerning. Well, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, other recommendations. I got a ton of good stuff to read. That's going to be in the newsletter. Check it out. Check it out. Hot yeah. links, hot videos and podcasts that I've been listening to all week. I'm on the book train. So I'm going to post the two books that I finished in the last week. I'm on fire for that. My drive is so long into say, the city. But yeah. So you, now that you don't have anything, uh, else to worry about cause nine to five only, and that's all you yeah. have to do. Right. So now you have all the time in the world to read a book. Listen to books. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to you next week. Sounds good.